Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at snapoutofitradionetwork.com. So wake up, stand up, and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free. Free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi everyone, I'm Mel and welcome to another Empowered Love radio show. So welcome to all of the listeners from Australia and the US and anybody else who's tuning in from anywhere in the world. So it's a narcissistic central show today and you know these are always really, really helpful shows because as we know the narcissistic abuse situation is incredibly confusing, incredibly distressing and incredibly traumatic. So I really hope that today's show will help you make sense of what's going on. So this show is about are you tired of being the scapegoat? So when you're in a narcissistically abusive relationship, you are positioned as a scapegoat. Now, if you ever go into Greek mythology, it's a really, really interesting metaphor to look at the scapegoat. Pan, the devil, horns, okay, and actually the Christian mythology of the devil is actually known in Greek mythology as the scapegoat. And really what that means is is that disowned parts are blamed on an outside source. So the very, very deep Greek mythology was about know thyself. And what that means is that everything emanates from within and everything is self and self-responsibility. So what the deep know thyself philosophers really believed, and I actually go along with this, is that a lot of the mythologies were created to blame evil on an outside source. So hence, the devil made me do it. And that extended into the parts of me that I'm not taking responsibility for, I'm blaming an outside source for. So this is what scapegoating is about. It's about not taking responsibility and blaming it on an outside force. So when you're in a narcissistically abusive relationship, you're positioned as the scapegoat. So during this show, you're going to learn how the narcissist projects his or her unhealed parts at you and holds you responsible for his or her defects. So this is about learning how not to accept being the scapegoat, how to assert healthy boundaries so that you are not continually trying to justify your position, which means that you're hooking into it and it's becoming a part of your reality. So if you want to bring into this show, you're more and more than welcome. Okay. Now Nancy isn't joining me today because she's walked out. She's now traveling through Australia. She's going to be joining me in certain shows and not other shows. And during some of these Night Central shows, I might be bringing some other guests and some things in once a month. So we'll just flow with what Nancy's doing and it's all good. So there's no problem there whatsoever. So I actually just did through New Life a newsletter on this and what I wanted to do was expand on it verbally uh, so that we can do a little bit more information in it and around it and we can have a look at it. 
because this aspect of narcissistic abuse is one of the most confusing, difficult parts of it. And what will tend to happen is that narcissists, they can only ever come into your vibration and play it out with you if you've got stuff that you need to heal. And we're going to be looking at that too and what your part in it is and how you can close up those gaps and your unhealed parts that are actually playing the part in this dynamic. So anyone that has been with a narcissist knows that everything seems like your fault. It seems like you are continually blamed for everything that's going on. Now what we need to understand about narcissists is that narcissists at an inner level have a lot of pain. They have a lot of unresolved stuff. They have a lot of stories. They have a lot of pain. They have a lot of less than beliefs and thoughts about themselves. Now the problem with the narcissist is, is that they're not doing accountability. They're actually not doing anything to heal those painful inner parts of themselves. So what happens is this phenomenon of projection. So the narcissist, because these inner feelings are so empty and painful and so less than, what they need to do is to try to offload them. Now, a narcissist without an intimate partner has a lot more trouble doing that in life because people, unless they're intimately connected, are not going to put up with it. Certainly, there are narcissistic bosses in workplaces that are projecting their unhealed parts and scapegoating people within the workplace and getting away with it. Some of you may have had narcissistic bosses. Some of you may have even been in relationships with narcissistic bosses, which makes it even worse. And what they're really playing on is people's fear of security. You know, I can't stand up to and leave this person because I'm going to be out of a job. And this is really what happens in narcissistic intimate relationships. It happens with men and women. Please don't ever think I'm discounting what happens to men in narcissistic relationships when they're with a woman who's a narcissist because my email box is filled with them. I work personally with men. There's lots of men during the narcissistic abuse recovery program. Absolutely. So it doesn't just happen to women. Traditionally, what will happen is that men usually won't put up with it as much as women, but there are men that do. But the reason for that is because women have got survival programs that have got terror and fear around abandonment. How am I going to cope? How am I going to fend for myself? How am I going to cope in the world without a protective provider? Now, even women that are highly successful women can still be carrying these DNA programs. And that's one of the things that when we're disconnected to source, and we actually believe that it's us against the world rather than we are the creator of our world from an inner space, those fears can feel absolutely horrendous. There's no two ways about it. So I'm going to be doing this from the female perspective, definitely. The male perspective fits into this as well. If you are with a narcissist, there may be a few little things that are different, but fundamentally it's going to be exactly the same stuff that's playing out. Really for men, the biggest difference is is that men have the programs running that I should be able to fix this, I should be able to solve this, I should be able to make this work, I feel like a failure if I'm not going to make this work. Now mind you, women can do that too and what I've found consistently that women that tend to be with narcissists or are hooked in have got a fair bit of male energy going. 
they're definitely the doers in life. They're definitely the people that believe, I can make this work. I can find a solution. Now, when you couple that with those huge DNA survival programs and fears of losing the relationship, it can be a very, very deadly combination to keep you hooked into and stuck into the abuse and being scapegoated. So when you understand that narcissists have got these inner programs running, these less than programs, they feel unworthy, they're carrying a ton of shame, they can have intense self-hatred, they believe they're unlovable and they're unacceptable. And of course, what's made them dangerous, because codependents can have all of that running, but codependents are a lot less inclined to create this big false self. The empath may do it. It's not really that unconscious, but what they're doing is, if I just love you and love you and love you, well then, you're definitely going to love me back but I've got expectations and conditions attached to it and I'm going to be really hurt if you don't. The narcissist can really create a false self to try and protect the damaged inner child. And how they do that is really about a claim, they want lots of recognition, they've got high levels of entitlement with rage very close under the surface. So it's like, I expect this, I expect that. If I don't get that from you, well then rage is going to be triggered in me and I'm actually going to attack. And that's when I'm going to, everything I'm not taking responsibility for, I'm going to project it onto you and make it your fault. Whereas the severe codependent empath is more likely to just keep trying harder and to blame themselves rather than scapegoating and making it other people's fault. So that's the difference. That's the difference. So it's that false self, it's that ego that makes it dangerous. So what happens is when narcissists have these moments of this inner pressure cooker that gets built up about all the things, they're in deep shame about themselves. Now it's very, very interesting because when you actually get a narcissist in narcissistic injury, so it's when a major traumatic event happens in their life, They'll actually drop the ego, they'll come into authenticity and they'll actually own that those parts are their parts, it's their stuff. But what happens is if they have any sort of recovery from that injury or they don't have that injury, they're going to be in false self-function. Now false self-function, Sam Batkin writes some stuff, really, really good stuff about this and he actually calls it splitting of the narcissist and how the narcissist, that that insane, or how we feel, that insane ability to be uh, accountable. Inability to be accountable, it's like, I didn't do it, it's not my fault, you did it. You know, even when uh, the facts are there all on the table, and then of course the stories and the twists and the turns and the manipulations come into it. You know, Sam Batkin talks about that, that the narcissist is so split from reality when they're in an ego and a false self, they literally cannot even admit to themselves that they did it. It's, they can't identify with that. It, it's like when they're actually doing things that are just totally unacceptable, what happens is it's almost like they're watching another version of somebody else doing it that's them outside of their own bodies, but they're completely disidentified from it. They can't even accept that it was them that was doing it. So quite literally and authentically, 
there are narcissists that just cannot see that they've done it. They really can't. And when you get the pathological lying and everything thrown into it, that's when you know you're really with a disassociated narcissist who literally cannot even take responsibility. They don't have the ability to. They're so split. They're so in false self. They can't identify that they even did it. So that's high-level pathological lying. And you will have seen that. If you've been with a high-level narcissist, you will have seen that, absolutely. So what happens is when the pressure cooker inside the narcissist is building up with all these disowned parts that are just revolting for them, they've got to offload that. And what they're going to do is they're going to strike whoever is closest that they know is hooked because that person's going to hang around and continue to be the dump master for that behavior. Now, what happens and makes the codependent empath over-functioning person or person with poor boundary function, and all of those things are all the same thing. What makes them very, very highly susceptible is that, and check in on yourself in this, check in on yourself, because you really, really need to. I know I was always highly susceptible to that stuff, because even as a child... If I was accused of doing something that I knew I couldn't have done or I wouldn't have done, it would trigger me horrifically. It would gut me to think that anybody could think I was a bad person when I knew I was a good person. Horrendous soul injury to me. And that was a defect. That was absolutely a blind spot in my makeup that made me very, very susceptible to narcissistic abuse. So if you think about it, if you think about if there is anybody or let's say, you know, you're in a group of people and you'd walk away and somebody came back to you and somebody said, you know, this person said that about you. Now, if that triggers you, if you feel incensed by that, if you feel really hurt or shamed by that, and also too, if you've had parents that you were growing up with that were constantly criticizing you or telling you that you were doing stuff that you weren't doing or they didn't trust you and all that sort of stuff, you really need to heal that aspect, that wound of yourself. Because what's going to happen is when you have a narcissist in your space accusing you of all sorts of things that just do not match your level of integrity, you're going to want to fight back to prove your integrity. You're going to want that approval from them. And there's nothing more hurtful when you're in that space of, you know, this person is supposed to love me and trust me and know who I am and they're actually accusing me of that and that's just horrific. You know, so you're going to want to try and right the wrongs and fix the relationship and get them to know who you really, really are by arguing back, trying to prove yourself and trying to get that integrity, that recognition of integrity from them. Now that is perfect fodder for the narcissist. That is exactly what, why narcissists gravitate to people with integrity because, and people that have that blind spot in their makeup. It makes you very, very susceptible because when you actually have great boundary function and you become a source to yourself and a foundation and a solidness to yourself, you become to understand it's not important what you do or don't think about me. It's important what I think about me. And I can allow others to think whatever they want to think about me, and that's fine. It's only their opinion that I know who I am. Because when you get to that place, and this is one of the greatest gifts of narcissistic abuse, is really, really clearing that up for yourself. Now, in amongst all of that, there is also the knowing 
that another person outside me is not responsible for my truth or well-being. I am. And that's one of those nasty DNA programs that can hook people in, women and men, is that how you treat me is responsible for my well-being and my life. And it's actually an illusion because that's great if that person has got the resources to be responsible but if they haven't got the resources to be responsible and you try and hold them responsible for your well-being, well, then you're setting yourself up for abuse. So if we have a look at some of the common things that can happen when you're being made the scapegoat, and these are the, you know, when I get with women and um, especially on the Facebook page, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Central, it's been fantastic. And I would really, really urge anybody out there that if you're wanting support, I have women coming to me all the time and they say to me, you know, do you know of a support group in California? Do you know of a support group in, in Britain? Do you know of a support group? And I say to everybody, there really is, I'm going to be really honest, there's not one support group I can recommend. I know that, uh, look, I think, um, you know, Codependence Anonymous and all sorts of things are very, very helpful. But I really believe that for narcissistic abuse, you really need specifically people that are walking the journey, empowering themselves, healing, finding their answers and their resources. It's all very, very important. And you need the right resources. You know, and for me, um, psychology, counseling, does cut it. You've heard me say that many, many times. But you just talking about what you went through and going through the same stuff over and over and over is not going to work for you. You need the right support. So please, on Facebook, look up Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Central. I am so proud of that group. There are so many empowered people in there healing, finding their answers, supporting others no matter what step of the journey that you're on. We have some wonderful people on there that are proactively you know, Debbie is just doing a fantastic job putting up article after article after article. It's all empowering stuff. It's all fantastic information about what you need to heal yourself and, and the truth about narcissism. And I can't recommend it enough. You know, it is the only support group that I absolutely recommend because what I believe about support groups is that you want a support group that is going to empower you enough not to need a support group because this is about healing yourself and eventually not needing that. And if you become healed and empowered the right way, you won't need that. So getting back to what the narcissist can do, and I hear the same stories. I get emails in my inbox, and really... I actually fast skim read through them because I don't have time. They're all the same things. They are all the same things. And what everybody is understanding is this person is doing this behavior and what they're doing is they're accusing me of exactly what they do. Hello, that's a narcissist. That's what happens with anybody that has got disowned, unhealed parts that they're not being accountable and responsible for. They've got to offload that pain of those un unhealed parts means that you're separated from source and your connection to yourself. It always hurts, always hurts. It feels that's what all pain, all anxiety, all depression is. Narcissists suffer that every single day of their life. But what they do is they get quick fix relief. Narcissistic supply claim, aren't I great, aren't I fantastic, aren't I the most amazing person that you could ever imagine, aren't I superior to everybody else, 
aren't I fabulous? Aren't I the most helpful, wonderful person? Aren't I sexy? Aren't I, uh, aren't I incredible? You know, narcissistic supply, and they're out running around in the world getting that sort of acclaim, you know? That offsets it. The other thing that offsets it is dumping that pain onto others that will actually stand there and accept that dumping. Now, what happens when you're in a relationship, you get set up as that. You become that. You start doing that. So here are some of the common things that the narcissist is going to accuse you of being. One of the common things is adultery. You know, many narcissists, absolutely part of getting supply is that they're not to be trusted on a fidelity level. That's a very, very common trait. So you will be accused of being an adulterous person. You will also be accused of being non-caring and incapable of being a loving partner. Now that's a great one to use guilt on you. And what happens with the empath codependent is you're going to want to try harder, you're going to want to try harder, you're going to want to try harder. Okay? And you'll give over and hand over more pieces of yourself. You might be told you're a bad parent. You might be told you're materialistic. You might be told you're a gold digger. Now the thing is about narcissists, part of ego and false self makes it about money makes it about stuff, makes it about, you know, because of you, this happened to me, you've got this and you think it's all yours. It brings up very much materialistic me versus you behavior. So you're not going to feel like it's us or ours. You're not going to feel like it's sharing. You're going to feel like it's point scoring. You're going to feel like the narcissist has tucked away into his information bank all of these things that he can use as ammunition against you later down the track in regard to money and finances and stuff. That's ego. That's what ego does. Okay, the narcissist will absolutely set up a situation where you feel like you're in a competition with them. It might be over the simplest thing. And you may feel like that they're trying to get the upper hand or they're trying to compete. Or, so therefore they're going to accuse you of competing with them, being jealous of them, being envious of them, all the me versus you stuff. The narcissist may say to you that you're unavailable for support. Okay, and that's going to be the narcissist's excuse for not actually coming to you with their unhealed stuff, which they're not going to do because what happens is in the ego version of that, the narcissist to be humble and real and to be vulnerable means emotional, emotional annihilation. If I'm weak, if I'm seen as weak or defective, you're going to have the upper hand on me. So they're not going to, but they're going to accuse you of the reason why they didn't was because you weren't available or you've done something to them that means that they can't be authentic with you. So... All right, they're also going to accuse you of being in the world what you are, what they are, that you're out in the world getting supply, that you're being false, that you do things for ego gratification, that it's not for the right reasons. So this is one of the unfortunate aspects of somebody who's living in their head and living in ego is they actually start to believe that you think and feel and operate the same way they do. Narcissists actually believe that people, other people are narcissists. They literally do believe it because what they're doing is projecting every version of themselves that, that, that doesn't sit right and it doesn't feel good because if it's not authentic, it's not love, it's not truth, it's not source, it feels awful for everybody, including the narcissist. 
So to not have to feel those feelings and own them and work through them, you are it. You are going to be that person. Now, if the narcissist has actually, if you've taken narcissistic information to them, they will accuse you of being the narcissist. I have had so many people come forward to me and say, who's the narcissist? Is he, is she, is, am I, is, you know, am I a narcissist? Am I a narcissist? It's actually usually pretty easy to distinguish whether or not you're a narcissist, okay? And all you've got to do is ask yourself. There's some really, really simple questions. Do you have empathy and consideration for other people's feelings? Okay, what levels could you go to if you were in pain? What could you do to another person? What, because the thing is, a narcissist, so somebody operating narcissistically, absolutely has got the ability to cross over lines. If you're not a narcissist, you haven't got, you couldn't do it. You just couldn't do it. Okay? Everybody can have some narcissistic characteristics. Absolutely they can. And it may take huge levels for you to get there to fight back to be at that level. I remember in one relationship that I had, um, I'd been with an individual who had professed to me, professed to me that, you know, he had standards for women, that he wasn't a player, that he that he valued women, he had a lot of integrity with women sexually, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was really, really interesting because after we broken up and I still had a friendship with this person at that time, you know, I actually found out that he was actually using women that he professed that he would never go near those type of women that were very needy women women that aesthetically were nowhere near his level which you know he said he would he just would never ever do that to anybody and he was using them for sex and gratification and really really hurting them you know now not only did I feel lied to incredibly incredibly lied to I also felt very violated and I also knew that women were being violated and I lined him up with some home truth about his behaviour, you know, and, and, and really, you know, for me, that was actually about speaking my truth and letting him know exactly what I thought about that behaviour and that he's lied, you know. And then I left a relationship done, gone, friendship gone because it was just like I don't want to be friends with somebody that can actually really hurt women in this way or lie to me and pretend to be somebody you're not. So, but, you know, we've really got to look at what are you capable of doing? Are you capable of vindictive, vengeful acts to, to hurt people purposely? You know, if you're not, you're not a narcissist, okay? So you really need to understand this about yourself. And also, too, really understand that when somebody is telling you that you're the issue that, you're the issue that, you're the issue that, you're that, and they're giving you... There are all sorts of examples about why you're not and why you are this or that, and they'll bring in allies, real or imagined. Narcissists are very, very good at positioning other people to line you up, and what they'll do is they'll actually create like a circle around you of all these people that are discrediting you, think you're wrong, um, they've got all the information to back it up, et cetera, et cetera. So you can understand how you can crumble under that. You can understand, I've met women that have been living 20 years with a narcissist with this, or 30 years with a narcissist with this. You know, even months of it, or a couple of years, or a year of it, bad enough. But what, of course, these women are crippled, they're shattered, they're battered, they start to believe it, 
they take it on and they actually, you know, really, really believe that they're a fault or they're wrong or they're no good or they're ineffectual and all these sorts of things. So what's going to happen, you've got the two types of people that get caught up in this. You're either going to be the person, which is really more the feminine type, who just accepts the blame and crumbles. These are long-term narcissistic relationships. These are the narcissist that is married to somebody for 20 or 30 or 10 years. That's that woman. It's the more feminine side of the person that's connected to narcissistic abuse. The same goes for men. It's the more passive person. It's the person that internalizes rather than fights back. So, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, he told me he was going to leave his wife. He told me he was going to get out of the relationship. You know, I've been having an affair with him. There's other people he's having an affair with or or, or not. Um, he's still with his wife. You know, he doesn't want to leave her and marry me. You know, why doesn't he want to marry me and why does he want to be married to her? You know, so it's a more passive type of person that can marry a narcissist and live with them long term. And that's the one that's become a shell on the inside. She's internalized it. She thinks it's her fault. She'll try and keep the peace at all costs. He's out in the world getting narcissistic supply. She's at home doing the cooking, the cleaning, or keeping um, the home fires burning. And, you know, she's going to cop it from time to time. But, you know, he's not getting a rise out of her. She might just, yeah, okay, and go along with it. He's not getting a rise. He's not getting the blast that he needs. So he actually needs to go outside the relationship and have affairs to be able to dump that torch itself onto somebody that he's going to get a rise and a blast from. And that works great with people that he's having affairs with. That's the perfect, you know. So, but he's got that cozy home environment where everything's looked after and she's taking responsibility for him. She'll turn a blind eye, you know. He might have sex there whenever he needs it, when he can't get supply from somewhere else. He's getting everything done for him. Why, why would he walk away from that? He's not going to walk away from that. Narcissists are actually very, very attracted to somebody who is going to sort them out, who's going to mop up their messes. You know, narcissists are loose. They're disorganized. Most of them, not all of them. So they really, really love somebody that's going to clean it up and keep their life going so that rather than backtracking and sorting out their messes all the time, they can get on with getting narcissistic supply or lining up people to dump their torture self on. You know, if they get too caught up in the in their life not coping and surviving, um, it's less time to do that for them. So, you know, they like being married to really passive, shattered people that just internalize it all. And... So the other version is, is the person that's trying to defend themselves. I'm definitely in that category. That's, that's you know, there's a fighter in me. There's, there was also that, that trigger of pain of being um, not believed, of not being trusted to have integrity, and, of course, the fear of being abandoned, you know, that typical female fear. So that, for me, set, set me up perfectly to be in a narcissistic relationship and to offer a ton of supply, you know. And what happens there is they're the explosive narcissistic relationships. They're the relationships that end up going crazy because what's going to happen is that when you up the ante 
about arguing and defending, the narcissist is going to up it another notch. Narcissists win. They don't lose. They win. So they're going to go to any extent to maintain you're wrong. The more you fight back that you're right, the more they're going to fight back that they're wrong. And the problem with this is, is that this is going to get nasty. This is not going to be good. So the narcissist is going to use all sorts of things. We know about gaslighting. Gaslighting is actually about throwing you off balance, calling in outside allies and making you very, very um, don't know what's up or what's down or who might be saying this or who's with you, who's against you, what's being turned and twisted. Gaslighting is just horrifically confusing. There's also about bringing up the past. That's an act of ego. So what happens is as soon as the narcissist is in a position of needing to be accountable or being pushed in or cornered to be accountable, the topic will change. Something will, projection is, okay, I've got to find a reason to blame you. I'm going to go to anything in my data banks that uh, can put dirt on you. I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to throw that over at you. So before you know it, if you're susceptible, what's going to happen is you're actually going to be defending this aspect. You're now under attack. You're now under wrong. You're now wrong. And the narcissist's been able to side shift it and get the blame of himself onto you. And then, you know, if you are a fighter and you're fighting for your integrity, you're going to come back and you're going to actually try and turn that back around and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. So... So what happens is the narcissist has got a lot of gears that he can shift into. Really what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to get to the point, you're wanting to be, make it topical, and you're wanting to get accountability for safety. But the narcissist has gone into the past, has gone into gaslighting, has gone into allies. Now what will happen then is the narcissist... It's a little bit like a scorpion and, you know, for anybody who knows astrology, it really is a Pluto trait. It's very, very much a Scorpio thing. And what was really, really interesting is, uh, you know, my, uh, you know, my ex-long-time partner who was the, the biggest narcissist in my life, uh, I actually had um, a wonderful astrologer, a good friend of mine, do his astrology chart, and Pluto was sitting right on the IC, right on the back door, actually the same place where Hitler's is which is really quite creepy. And for anybody who's listening into astrology, you'll know exactly what I mean about having Pluto sitting right down there on the back door on, on the IC. It's like the deepest depths of his soul was Plutonian. And Pluto is all about maliciousness and vindictiveness. It's, it's all about that. And you can obviously understand that Hitler was a massive narcissist, massive, was the epitome of narcissism. So, you know, what happens is, now narcissism is about that vindictive streak. And what will happen with a narcissist is that, you know, when they feel like they might be losing, what they do will bring out the death blow. Absolutely. And that's the scary thing. Because I don't know if you ever, as a kid, you were, or your kids played those computer games and you know that the death blow moves, that, you know, that the finishing moves, <laughs> that you hit certain keys and then the computer will do it. The character will do it. Well, the narcissist will go to the death blow. So what he knows is your vulnerable, your deepest wound. He knows it. 
he knows it and he'll hit it. And what was really, really interesting in my, you know, really big narcissistic relationship was that he knew mine, he knew mine and that's where he hit. And it was interesting because the woman that got with him after me through all sorts of just horrific, crazy stuff happening in her life and of course she was just shattered and nearly dead by the time she found me. And we had a really interesting conversation, the two of us sharing about our lives with him. Now, her wounds were completely different to mine, completely. Mine were all about being not trusted, being accused of adultery, having high levels of integrity, um, and absolutely being smothered and abused and demanded with entitlement and abuse, abuse, abuse. Hers was more like men don't love me and connect to me, they don't show me enough attention. I had a ton of attention from him, a ton. I could barely breathe without him being down my neck. Now, what he would do to her would be disappear, hardly ring her. You know, he he knew. So, you know, his big thing with her, because she had these programs of other women are more attractive than me, the men that I'm with are going to all be with other women. You know, now he knew with me that infidelity was a no-no that if he'd have ever, ever, you know, touched another woman, I'm sure he did, but he was very clever about it. But if he'd waved that in my face or done it or I'd known, that would have been it. It. Deal breaker. Over with. You know. So he never played that with me because I wouldn't have hung around for that. He played my other stuff with me. He played the stuff that got to me. Now with her, he flaunted other women in her face. He would go to lunches with other women. He admitted to affairs with other women. He went over to peace with other women. And she clung and hung and it, you know, broke her and distressed her. So what I'm saying is that the narcissist is very clever about working out your weak point and using it as the death load to hurt you. Because that is the ultimate ego offload of their pain, their self being forced into being accountable. You know, the narcissist does not want to be vulnerable or real because it's game over. They don't. They will do anything to protect that false self and not be real. So if you get too close to it, the narcissist is going to pull out the death blow on you and going to belt you with it. And that's just what happens. So... This is all the part of scapegoating, which then, of course, goes to another level. So the reality is if you fight back, if you fight back, if you're not one of those women that crumble into accepting it, if you fight back, inevitably the narcissist is going to take it to a greater level to stay on top. Ego has to win, has to win. And this is about preserving that ego, and it's monstrous. So you're going to be lined up, you're going to be attacked, you're going to be brutalized. And the great thing about that, the narcissist then gets to say, look at this person's behavior. Look at this person's behavior. Look at how, so they can discredit you. And everybody thinks you're crazy. And everybody thinks you're the one that's defective. And you're the one that's brutal. And you're the one that's out of line. And you're the one that's behaving like this. So can you see how it works? Can you see how it works? So then you're going to be accused of being non-accountable. You're going to be accused of projecting your stuff. You're going to be accused of being defective. The narcissist is going to try and 
force you to be accountable and tell everybody you need to be forced to be accountable because you're the crazy abusive one. You're going to be accused of people in your life are completely manipulated by you so you can see what the narcissist is doing and, and it all goes up another level, the scapegoating. And you're going to be called a high-level psychopath or a narcissist or all sorts of things. So it, now the thing is, you will feel like you're going to, going to go crazy because the thing is when you are, if you're hooked into and trying to fight for justice in crazy abusive behavior, you're going to be crazy. You are going to act crazily. You are going to be hurt, you're going to be brutalized, and you're going to start acting like a hurt, brutalized, crazy person. That's exactly what's going to happen. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work because you need to know it's almost like you're on an oval and you've got a boundary. You've got a fence that goes around the oval. The narcissist doesn't. There's no boundaries. So... You know, and there's different levels of narcissists. I'm not going to say a narcissist is going to get out a knife and slash your, slash your throat. You know, that's more like a psychopath, okay? Most narcissists aren't psychopaths, they're sociopaths. And, of course, they can get physical and all those sorts of things as well. And they may have limits as to how far they're going to go. But when we're looking at mental, emotional limits, the narcissist does not have mental, emotional limits. They are going to be incredibly hurtful, incredibly violent emotionally and mentally and you're just not even in that realm unless you're a narcissist. Narcissists and narcissists don't make it work together unless they've got a common goal about lining somebody up and then it's interesting, you can see that sometimes with uh, ex-wives, it's very rare but it can happen that a narcissist will get with another narcissist type individual and they've got this common goal of ripping her life to shreds. When she empowers, moves on and disconnects, then they rip each other to shreds. It's really quite funny how that happens. So the narcissist, if you have wounded them, you're the enemy and it doesn't take much to do that because they, you have to be the source of their pain because I can't take responsibility for it. You will be the source of their pain. So they've decided that you are going to be broken and you'll be made accountable. And the more you fight back, the narcissist is going to go to incredible lengths to ensure that they win. So it's not a good place to be in. So this is going to happen if you stand up. So what could happen at that level if you're fighting back, fighting back, fighting back, inevitably what is going to happen, they will use authorities as weapons. That could happen. Physical violence, sabotage of your operation so you can't function in the world, severe damage to your reputation, blackmail and threats. All of that plus more is possible. Now, I know... But usually when it's got to that point is when people hit that place of, I have to get out of here, this is killing me. That's usually when people come forward for help. But the great thing is, if you can really understand what's going on in the dynamics, you do not have to wait till it gets to that point. So really what this is about is stop fighting back. Stop fighting back. Clean up your holes. Clean up your knowing and your solidness about yourself. 
And if you've been a codependent and if you've been talked out of trusting yourself and you don't know your solidness and you don't know your integrity, or let's say you've had guilt put on you when you were young and you didn't get that cleaned up, you may be really confused. You know, this person is saying, well, you're not here to support me. You're not here to do this. And they give you reasons and you think, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's right. Maybe, And then, you know, if you can get enough distance and you can get enough clarity, you can go, hang on a minute, no. That's not the truth. I know my truth. I know who I am. I'm not going to be confused and thrown off balance by things that aren't right. So it really is about firming yourself up. It's about really going, okay, well, I know I'm not perfect and I'm a human being, but these things I'm being accused of, they are just not true. They're just not true. So when you can get to that, and women even with narcissists can get to that, stop accepting blame. Stop defending yourself, stop arguing back and stop trying to argue with somebody who is in their head blaming you for the things that you know you are not doing. So this sort of response is what you need to do rather than fighting for justice. That's your opinion, you're entitled to it, it's not mine, so as far as I'm concerned, it's your stuff. Okay? Hand it back. All right, you believe that of me, I believe that of me, this is your stuff, buddy not mine. Hand it back. Now, what you're going to see, that's a boundary. You can use this for anybody in your life. It's very easy for anybody to be unconscious, not dealing with their unhealed parts and blaming somebody else. Okay? What I've been describing previously is a narcissist or very severe narcissistic behavior. That is not okay. But you might have your child scapegoat you. You know, you get the blame for them not getting their project in on time. How many times have we heard stuff like that, right? Women are very susceptible to it. Men, fathers usually don't. Kids don't line them up with that. Women cop that more than men. Now, as mothers, or this could happen with your sister, your best friend, your parents, whatever, Be aware when you're being scapegoated, when somebody is dumping their pain on you and trying to blame you for it. So this is what you need to say to them. Okay, I understand that's how you feel. That's actually not how I see it as truth. Really, this is your stuff. Hand it back. Now what's going to happen is people that have got the resources to actually take responsibility, if you won't take it and fight and then give them even more reason to blame you, that's, that's all that happens when you fight for justice. Somebody's actually going to say, well, look at you. You know, you're angry. It gives me even more reason to blame you for this. But when you just don't play the game, if they're going to take, and they can't dump it on you, they're going to have to be alone with themselves on it or take it and dump it somewhere else and blame somewhere else. Now, you can imagine if everybody in their vicinity closed up their boundary walls and said, no, sorry, no. Nah that's not my stuff, that's your stuff, they would actually have to take responsibility. So boundaries are always win-win. They're always giving people the opportunity to stop scapegoating the devil. The devil made me do it. You made me do it. Hang on a minute. No, the devil didn't make me do it. The devil doesn't even exist. I have a choice of good or bad. I have a choice of taking responsibility for my stuff or I have the choice of blaming something or somebody else for it. Right? It's all about taking responsibility. So if everybody took responsibility and actually stopped blaming everybody else for it, well, then there wouldn't be what goes on in the world. 
you know, so what we need to do, this is also about us taking responsibility. This is about us saying, why was I allowing stuff in my life that I was getting scapegoated and blamed and I was getting abusive behavior and somebody not being real or authentic or taking responsibility, why did I allow that in my life and keep staying with it? That's what we need to take responsibility. And we also need to take responsibility for our deeper stuff too. Why am I bringing people into my life that aren't available for genuine, real, safe relationships? That's a deeper question. That's a deeper, deeper question. You know, but that's, we need to take responsibility for that. But of course, that needs to be done by yourself. That needs to be done where you can actually say no to abuse and no to scapegoating and then come home to yourself and work it out from there so that you can actually walk forward creating a different experience and also an experience that you know that if that stuff starts going on in your life that you don't get roped into getting blamed for it. Absolutely take responsibility where it's due. Absolutely. If somebody was to come to you and say, well, look, you know, I actually feel like this because when you do that, that hurts me. You know, if you've got a part in that and you've got a conscience and you can, and, and they are actually going to come to you in a real way without projecting and blaming, of course. Be humble enough, be real enough to take responsibility. You know the narcissist doesn't come at you like that. You know that. You know if they do come at you like that, it's manipulative, right? And we're just going to have a quick look at, you know, some of the things. You know, you know. And your body knows. You know when you've had the stories and you're told what you meant to hear, your intuition knows whether it's real, whether it's authentic, or whether it's a manipulation. You've got to learn to start trusting yourself. How do you learn to trust yourself? You get empowered, you come back to source, and you start to become at one with yourself. Okay? When you're shattered, you're disjointed, you're broken, you don't know how to trust yourself. You've got to heal that because it can be very, very confusing until you do that. So we're just going to have a look at some of the points. This was actually one of the posts on Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Central, the Facebook page. There is so many great great material that comes up there you know and I love it I love it this one is about manipulation in relationships and the seven psychological buttons on our backs and it's by Devon D. Prima so thank you Debbie for posting this I think it was Debbie or it might have been somebody else but it's fantastic so we're talking about scapegoating is manipulation okay narcissists operate by manipulation so if we have a look at psychological buttons there's seven points here that can make you susceptible one is having a very strong need for approval and acceptance. Absolutely. And as I said, you check into your triggers about whether people approve and accept of you or actually think you're a bad person. Okay? If you have a real fear about people not knowing your integrity and not approving of you and not accepting you, you need to heal that because it's going to make you very, very susceptible to getting hooked in. So the two versions of getting hooked in there is the passive one where if you just want to be liked and accepted and you're a people pleaser and stuff like that, so what you're going to do is going to keep your need for approval, doing the right thing could hook you in on a passive level. If you're more on the fight for your integrity level, what you may do on that is actually try and prove and argue and justify, which doesn't work. We've talked about that. Fearing negative emotions, 
okay, can be a big one. Now, this is a part of emotional intelligence is about being able to accept and own your emotions, deal with them, work through them, and actually embrace them. There is way too much in society about getting away from and avoiding emotions, okay? And the narcissistic model is all about that. I want to create a false self so I don't have to deal with bad feelings. And, of course, the bad feelings don't go. They don't go. Okay, we can do that. Too much TV. We can do that by, I've just got to go and be around friends. Um, I'll go and have a drink. I'll do anything to stop feeling this bad, you know, rather than facing negative emotions. We have to face negative emotions to be able to work through them and release them and transform them. So some people are very sensitive to strong negative emotions, conflict or confrontation, and this means they may modify their behavior to avoid the anger or the conflict. Okay? Nearly always at a cost to themselves or someone that they are connecting with because it's not about being real. It's about, you know, if you're frightened of negative emotions or conflicts, well, you're never going to be real. You're never going to be honest. You're never going to deal with things. So they're going to get shoved under the carpet and they can only erupt somewhere else. So this happens for the narcissist and it also happens for the person that's been targeted and lined up. So some manipulators purposely put on an angry look or start to raise their voice simply to cause confusion or stress in their victims. So for the passive person, that's going to be the person that is going to subdue themselves, toe the line because they don't want the conflict. That can happen. Okay, being a people pleaser and hung up on being nice. So for the passive example, that's, you know, really, really not good as well. Also too, you know, for any codependent that's stuck in a relationship with a narcissist, originally they're not confronting stuff and they're not speaking up and they're not saying things because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. So, you know, if you have a fear of being real, and real is not brutal, okay? There's lots of people go, well, you know, I can't say what I really think because I'm going to hurt their feelings. But if they're not taking responsibility for effective communication, well, that's just a cop out, all right? And then it explodes later and they hurt people's feelings anyway. So, but I'm just talking about being real and being honest about how you feel and how you perceive. And if you're not prepared to do that because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, you're going to let a lot of things slide. A lot of things slide that weren't right, that were red flags that you just didn't confront because, you know, it's true reasons. You didn't want to hurt their feelings or you didn't want to fear being rejected. Lacking assertiveness, it's all about assertiveness. So if you find it difficult to say no, you may suffer from a lack of assertiveness. People who are poorly assertive, bad boundaries, are also likely to be people pleasers. You're in double trouble when you also have a strong aversion to negative feelings as well. You're not confronting stuff, you're not laying boundaries, you're not saying no, you're not speaking up. Okay, target for abuse. So often a lack of assertiveness is linked with sensitivity and a fear of negative responses to your needs or wants. So I remember, you know, one of my most favorite clients, she was saying that, you know, from the first relationship when her heart was broken, it was like, well, you know, I, if I speak up about my needs and my wants, I push people away and I don't get them met, so I'm never going to do that again. Uh-huh. So these are the things that we need to confront, we need to work with. Having low self-reliance. People with low self-reliance are very uncertain about their own judgment and abilities and often they have very little self-direction in their lives. In previous generations, many married or highly capable women had reduced self-reliance as they had not been raised to expect to be a master of their own destiny, especially outside of the home. People with low self-reliance can also be spotted by the way they constantly seek input into most of their pending decisions, often even simple ones. Yeah, 
I put my hand up to that big time, big time. You know, even I'm very capable in the world. You know, I grew up in a family where, you know, dad did it. Dad was, you know, a control freak, a protector, and he stood up and did all those important things in life. So there's a fear about doing those things. Have a look at your own self-reliance. You know, do you feel like you can look after yourself? You can make important decisions. You can stand up. Having an underdeveloped sense of identity is a big one. Do you feel like you are somewhat insubstantial and that your character is small and insignificant compared with those around you? Are you uncertain about who you really are and what you stand for? Do you live your life more through others than yourself? Many people have had a childhood in which their worth was continually denigrated or in their sensitive teens received continual negative feedback and comments. Such a background can stun a person's development and weaken their sense of identity. To a manipulator, such people are wonderful, uh, wonderful lumps of clay upon which they can craft their own designs, usually to make you more compliant to their will and to get you to live your life more through them. So it's all really interesting stuff, you know. So I hope that's helped and... Remember, you don't have to be the scapegoat. It's really about understanding boundaries. It's really about understanding what is mine, what isn't mine, what am I responsible for, what am I being blamed for? You know, it's even if somebody comes at you and they're shouting because they've had awful stuff in their day going on. That's not yours. You don't have to expect it, accept it, and you don't have to be the dumb master for it. You can say a simple boundary. You can do it with your kids. You know, when they shout at you and line you up. Or anybody in your life. You know, I will teach you when you're going to become respectful. Walk away. Leave them with it. It's things. It's not yours. So, hope that helps everybody and maybe Nancy will be back next month if we get her back from Walkabout or she gets near uh, somewhere a computer. She's having a wonderful time, I hope. I'm going to be catching up with you soon once she's in uh, reception. But I hope that's really helped. Have a look at that. Stop being the scapegoat. Get more solid within yourself and stop handing your power over and allowing what's going on because also too, you know, if there's an abuser in your space, somebody that you care about, it might be your children. You're not helping them by being the scapegoat. You're not allowing them to take responsibility and heal their stuff. So it's all about boundaries. All right, everybody, have a great day and lots of love and I'll see you next week. Okay, bye-bye.